0: Alright, by now you have read The Halloween Party, and I want you to remember something that we talked about before. One of the things that we do is we synthesize information from two texts to create new in- understanding. So in the back of your mind, I want you to be thinking about the themes and the ideas and the connections that you made while reading Halloween Party. and kind of have them roasting in the back of your mind as we think about what connections they might have to John Winthrop's piece on Little Speech on Liberty. Now, again, we remember that while we look at the information about the author, we're using it as almost a research to help us make those predictions about what we might be reading and how the writer writes. It's a part of how we use those characteristics of genre and purpose to guide our purpose for reading and comprehending the text. So John Winthrop was born in 1588 and died in 1649. One of the things this tells me, and I haven't read it yet, so usually when we read things that are that old, the language is a little bit dense. Uh, the sentences are usually long. The vocabulary, there's lots of words that we have to look up. So I think I'm going to have to be prepared for that. Born in England in 1588, John Winthrop was a son of wealthy landowner and a member of the gentry, the ruling class of English society. So I'll pause there and remember what we were talking about as these children in the Halloween party were often wealthy, and had high goals for going to schools that really are quite very expensive. Winthrop studied law, just like the kids in the story, worked in a government office as an attorney at the Court of Wards, and for more than 20 years was a county squire at the Manor of Groton. Winthrop was also deeply religious And as a young man became associated with the Puritan movement, a group of religious dissidents who believed that the reformation of the church in England did not go far enough. His convictions led to a life of social activism, where, like other Puritans, he advocated for greater purity of worship and doctrine, strict adherence to scripture, and a life of personal moral piety. So the connections I'm making here is I'm thinking about um, the woman who was writing about the Halloween party. She really is thinking about some moral issue, too, is why do we do what we do? Is it to get ahead and give people what they want, or is it to pursue our own passions and pursuits? The anti-Puritan policies of Charles I, a strong Supporter of the Church of England eventually cost Winthrop his livelihood. Ooh, I guess he got fired. And in 1629, he joined the Massachusetts Bay Colony. In 1630, he crossed the Atlantic and helped settle the Massachusetts Bay Colony, the next largest New England settlement after Plymouth, where he was chosen to be the governor 12 times during the colony's first 20 years of existence. Winthrop is perhaps best known for his mi- vision to make Massachusetts Bay Colony a city on a hill, to serve as an inspiring model for other Puritan colonies. So this is really connecting with um, like how we set goals for ourselves that seem to be at odds in the previous story. Winthrop kept a journal of his life experiences that was later published as the History of New England from 1630 to 1649 and is acknowledged as a central source document for Massachusetts during this time period. Winthrop's time in New England was not without controversy and problems. His most famous conflict was with Anne Hutchinson, who in 1636 gained control of Winston's Boston Church and attempted to convert the colony to a religious position that Winthrop disagreed with vehemently. Eventually, Winthrop regained control and Hutchinson was tried, banished, and eventually excommunicated from the church. In 1645, Winthrop, along with some of the other magistrates, interfered in a local election of military officer. The dispute escalated and the magistrates were accused of exceeding their powers. Hmm, Sounds familiar in 2020. Winthrop himself was impeached. This controversy lasted for three months until Winthrop was fully acquitted and some of his opponents were fined. It was at this time after his exoneration that he made what is known as Winthrop's little speech on liberty, which you will read here. The sophisticated text is not uncontroversial, so we should expect it to be controversial. In it, Winthrop lines out his beliefs about the authority of magistrates and the nature of liberty. His line of argument and selection of analogies also provide insights to his religious beliefs and supply a glimpse of the ideas about religion and gender that prevailed at the time. So already I've got an idea of what my purpose for reading is, and I'm going to jot that down, that I've got to really think about the line of argument. So I'm going to need to have a purpose for reading that follows that line of reasoning or argument. I'm going to be really looking for the selection of analogies. So I'm going to be wary anytime that he gives an analogy. And you remember we talked about, well, I don't know if we have or not, but bias. And so inside those analogies, it has his biases of religious beliefs. and beliefs about gender. So I've got to be alert when I'm reading that these things are going to be a part of how I comprehend this text. Okay, I've written down my purpose for reading. I'm going to look for the line of argument. In other words, his line of reasoning. I have to realize that this man is trying to guide my thoughts to his thoughts. I also have to remember that this is controversial. Some of the things that he is saying, both controversial then and now in modern society, probably. Particularly because of the analogies he's going to use. Because they're going to give me an idea about religious beliefs and about gender. Okay, so previewing the text, I see that there are five sections that I need to consider. And I'm gonna dive into the first one here. I suppose something may be expected from me upon this charge that has befallen me. So remember this is, he's was like impeached, so he's trying to defend himself which moves me to speak now to you. So in other words, this is his purpose. Yet I intend not to intermeddle in the proceedings of a court or with any persons concerned therein. So he's not trying to mess with legal stuff. Only I bless God that I see an issue of this troublesome business. I acknowledge, okay, so he's conceding here, the justice of the court and for my own part i am well satisfied i was publicly charged and i am publicly and legally acquitted which is all i did expect or desire one of the things i want you to notice that i'm doing is when text gets really complex like this i slow down my reading to give my thoughts time to catch up with the ideas So I can follow, as my purpose for reading says, that line of argument. So he's pleased with the outcome of the court. So I stop and I summarize periodically to make sure I understand what's going on. So he's pleased with the outcome. And though this be sufficient for my justification before men, yet not so before God, who hath seen so much amiss in my dispensations, and even in this affair, as calls me to be humble. Mm. So he sees here, and I'm stopping to summarize because this is like a dense thought, when he talks about he's, he's okay with being acquitted by the court, but he feels like there's still some unresolved business with God. For this to be publicly and criminally charged in this court, is a matter of humiliation, and as I desire to make right use of it. Notwithstanding, I be thus acquitted. So he was humiliated by it. Okay, this is confusing. If her father had spit in her face, I don't know who he's talking about, saith the Lord concerning Miriam. Okay, so he's referencing a Bible story. Should she not have been ashamed seven days? So what I'm going to need to do now and what I ask you to do is go do a little bit of research. What in the world is he talking about with the story of Miriam? Shame had a lean upon her, whatever the occasion had been. I am unwilling to stay you from your urgent affairs. Yet give me leave upon this special occasion to speak a little more to this assembly. It may be of some good use to inform and rectify the judgments of some people and may prevent such distempers as have arisen among us. I think here he's trying to say he doesn't think it's enough to be acquitted. He wants to explain himself and um, it sounds like it says that prevent such distempers. It sounds like there's conflict still going on because of what had happened. The great, great questions that have troubled the country are about the authority of the magistrates and the liberty of the people. So I have to go back and reread what it was saying about this conflict. Remember that he was accused of interfering with an election. And that they had gone above the powers that they had. And he was eventually impeached. So he's going back to try to think about what kind of authority did he have. And he wants to explain it. All right. So now I want to go to section two. Oh, and the other thing I was thinking about is that he's admitting that he's humiliated by this situation. Okay. Section two. It is yourselves who have called us to this office. I think he means by this, that they're voting. They voted him to be that magistrate. Being called by you, we have our authority from God. And in way of ordinance, such as hath the image of God eminently stamped upon it, the contempt and violation whereof hath been vindicated with examples of divine vengeance. So he's been called to serve, and then God ordains it, and something about how God has vengeance too. I entreat you to consider that when you choose magistrates. So you got to think of those ideas about being ordained by God and the vengeance God has. You take them from among yourselves, men subject to passions as you are, in other words. We're flawed. And so you have to realize that your leaders can be flawed too. Therefore, when you see infirmities in us, you should reflect upon your own. (laughs) This sounds like uh, the one comment about don't try to get a, a splinter out of someone's eye when you have a log in your own. So, reflect upon your own infirmities, your own flaws, and that would make you bear the more with us. So, you'll be able to understand our realities better as leaders and not be severe censors, censurers of the failings of your magistrates when you have continual experience of the like infirmities in yourself and others. We account him a good servant who breaks not. His covenant. The covenant between you and us is the oath you have taken of us, which is to this purpose that we shall govern you and judge your causes by the rules of God's laws and our own according to our best skill. When you agree with a workman to build you a ship or a house, etc., ooh, this is our first analogy. He undertakes as well for his skill as for his faithfulness, for it is his profession. And you pay him for both, both his skill and his um, faithfulness of completing building that. But when you call one to be a magistrate, okay, so now he's making the connection here between the way you hire somebody to make something. He doth not profess nor undertake to have sufficient skill for that office. In other words, is he saying here that the leadership doesn't promise that they're skilled enough to do it? Nor can you furnish him with gifts. Okay, so you can't pay him like you pay the shipbuilder. Therefore, So now we're getting to the conclusion. You must run the hazard of his skill and ability. So you've got, there's some risks associated with this. But if he fail in faithfulness, which by his oath he is bound unto, that he must answer for. If it fall out that the case be clear to common apprehension and the rule clear also, if he transgress here, The error is not in the skill, but in the evil of the will. It must be required of him. But if the case be doubtful or the rule doubtful to men of such understanding and parts as your magistrates are, if your magistrate should err here, you must bear it. Yourselves must bear it. (laughs) That's kind of funny. All right. So now I want you to reread that section and think about what does that analogy tell you about this situation? What is he explaining here, and how are his beliefs about religion intertwined with it? Okay, now let me remind you of our purpose for reading. We are following his line of reasoning, and we are looking at the selection of Analogies. Section 3. For the other point concerning liberty, I observe a great mistake in the country about that. There is a twofold liberty natural, I mean, as our nature is now corrupt, and civil or federal. The first, remember he's talking about the natural, is common to man with beasts and other creatures. By this, man, as he stands in relation to man, simply hath liberty to do what he lists. It is liberty to do evil as well as good. Now we have this analogy here with the beasts and making choices. The liberty is incompatible and inconsistent with authority and cannot endure the least restraint of the most just authority. The exercise and maintaining of this liberty makes men grow more evil and in time to be worse than brute beasts. And then he has a Latin phrase here, omnis supmis licentia deterioris. I want to look that up. This is that great enemy of truth and peace that wild beast which, of all the ordinances of God, are bent against to restrain and subdue it. Section 4. The other kind of liberty I call civil or federal. It may also be termed moral in reference to the covenant between God and man in the moral law and the politic covenants and constitutions amongst men themselves. This liberty is the proper end and object of authority and cannot subsist without it. And it is a liberty to that only which is good, just, and honest. This liberty you are to stand for with hazard not only the goods but of your lives if need be. Whatsoever crosses this is not authority, but a distemper thereof. This liberty is maintained and exercised in a way of subjection to authority. It is of the same kind of liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. The women's own choice. Oh, okay. Here we get some of that gender part. We're going to see some things here about the beliefs at the time. The woman's own choice makes such a man her husband, yet being so chosen, he is her Lord, and she is to be subject to him, yet in a way of liberty, not of bondage. And a true wife accounts her subjection, her honor, and freedom, and would not think her condition safe and free, but in her subjection to her husband's authority." So, in other words, she's choosing to be governed by her husband. And so now he's making the analogy to the government and to the church. Such is the liberty of the church under the authority of Christ, her king and husband. His yoke is so easy and sweet to her as a bride's ornaments. And if through forwardness or wantonness, etc., she shake it off, at any time, she is at no rest in her spirit until she take it up again. And whether her Lord smiles upon her and embraceth her in his arms, or whether he frowns or rebukes or smites her, she apprehends the sweetness of his love and all, and is refreshed, supported, and instructed by every such dispensation of his authority over her. On the other side, ye know who they are, that complain of this yoke and say, "Let us break their bands, etc. We will not have this man to rule over us. I think he's referring directly to his impeachment here. Even so, brethren, it will between you be between you and your magistrates. Section five If you want to stand for your natural, corrupt liberties, and will do what is good in your own eyes, you will not endure the last weight of authority, but will murmur and oppose and always be striving to shake off that yoke. In other words, you'll always be complaining against your government. But if you will be satisfied to enjoy such civil and lawful liberties, such as Christ allows you, then you will quietly And cheerfully submit to that authority which is set over you. So you'll submit to the government if you're having the correct attitude. Fully submit to that authority which is set over you in all the administrations of it for your good. Wherein, if we fail at any time, we hope we shall be willing by God's assistance to hearken to good advice from any of you, or in any way of God, so shall your liberties be preserved in upholding the honor and power of authority amongst you.